Oh, it's like they don't even want to be there. And and there's just this dourness. There's this and like we man, we we're not the people of dourness. We're the people of hope. We got the joy. You know, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so you know, when people look on us, when the world looks on us, they should see something that they want. There should be a fragrance, there should be an attractiveness that draws them to our lives. And if there isn't, then we just need to get a little more Jesus in our life. I don't want to, I'm not going to, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to sow condemnation on anyone. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But, you know, I know there are times and seasons we go through life and we take our hits and we don't feel like there's a lot to give. But there's always something to give. When we have Christ in our hearts, the inheritance of heaven is available to us. So there's always something that we can give, even in our weakest moments. You know, I remember, well, no, I can't say I remember. I wasn't even born yet. (laughs) But I remember, um, you know, years ago, um, uh, my, I I have two older brothers um, the second one, he was born with heart disease and like uh, was in the hospital, in and out of the hospital all the time as a baby. And I just remember my parents sharing this story that in one of their weakest moments when they didn't know whether my brother Keith was going to live out of being a baby, it was a broken down, alcoholic, failed marriage Christian that came to them with the word of hope in that moment that sparked something and sparked a life. And in that moment, everything changed. And my brothers, he began to gain weight. And, you know, he, he was able to live 24 years when the doctor said he shouldn't have lived too. And, uh, and so it's even, in, even in those seasons where we don't feel we have anything, we have something. Because we have a hope. It's not a hope that disappoints. It's a hope that's real. It's vibrant because he is real. He is vibrant. He is. And I do have eight pages. Like, that's not even... Everything I just shared is not on this. So if you have lunch plans, I'll, we'll, we'll take five minutes. You can call whoever you have lunch plans. You're going to say we'll delay them until about 4 o'clock, and we'll have an extended session. Right. I can, I can feel the stare from my wife somewhere in this church right now. She's like, I don't think so. Um, so uh, I'll read a couple scriptures here. First uh, Corinthians 13 is a great chapter it's the love chapter and towards the end of the you know towards the end of that chapter it talks about and now these three things remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love and that is true but hope and faith are very important aspects to our christian walk and especially hope in this season and in this in in this age that we're in as we are in the age of the kingdom you know that's the age that we're in right now and uh that's an age we can have a whole lot of whole lot of hope for because the god we serve is king and he's ruling and reigning in victory he has defeated the devil sin death the grave all of that has been defeated at the cross colossians 2 15 and so that's one of my favorite verses in the whole bible because it says and he he made a public spectacle of them at the cross you know what that means in the greek it means took the principalities and powers on a public stage and he pulled their pants down and exposed their nakedness. That's what that means. That's what Jesus did to the devil, all his minions, and all those things that try to war against the kingdom of God unsuccessfully. 
that fills me with hope. I don't know about you, but like, I'm like, he tries to talk to me. I'm like, hey, you're naked. I have a very victorious gospel because my God is a victorious God and he has made the way. And I just, I really just don't tolerate the enemy. He's little. He is little. You know, Bible talks about one day that we will look upon him who deceived the nations and we'll be astonished. We're going to be astonished because we'll realize how small he really is. And I, here's my, my opinion is let's not wait for that day. Let's just believe that now. Let's just receive that truth now that he's very little and our God is very big. I like this. This is fun. So Romans 15, 12 and 13. And again, Isaiah says, there shall come a root of Jesse. That's Jesus. And he who he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him, the Gentiles, which is ethnos in him, the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound into hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's really... Somebody get my notes earlier? What's... That's really great. You guys are awesome. Okay. Uh, NASB. Are you just going to hit a button? Dang. I'm impressed. That's nifty. I like that. Okay. How about Second Hezekiah 3, verse 12? You got that back there? <laughs> it's always funny. Uh, no, it's not. that's not funny. When every so often, someone starts flipping through their Bible looking for Second Hezekiah. And it's just like, mm, let's go to class. Okay. So what is hope? Hope is, as defined, is defined as a feeling of expectation or a desire of a certain thing to happen. And for when I talk about hope in this message, I'm going to talk about it in a positive way, except for my first example here. Um, my, here's a question. What informs our hope? The first time I gave this message on December 29th, I believe it was, I was in Alaska, so there's a three-hour time zone difference between Central Standard Time. And so I was giving this message as the Chicago Bears were playing the Green Bay Packers on the final day of the season to decide the NFC North title. Like, I'm going to talk a little football here because I know I'm in Steeler country. And I know you guys won't identify with me because you guys have won Super Bowls in the last decade, a couple of them. Okay. And so... So while I'm preaching that, you know, the Bears have had a bad run against the Packers over the years, and it always seems like the Packers have the upper hand, which is so different than my childhood. I don't know what went wrong. Um, but uh, so as I'm pre- like, and I knew, I knew something was going to happen, and the Bears would lose. Something fluky. And so what happens? Okay, for those who are football fans, fourth and eight, 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter from the 50-yard line. The receiver gets behind the bear safety. Aaron Rodgers throws a bullet, touchdown, Packers win. They go to the playoffs, the Bears go home. Fourth and eight, 30 seconds left on the 50-yard line. Packers have no timeouts. My hope was realized. I had an expectation that something like that would happen, and my hope was met sadly. And I mourn. 
There's always hope. There's always next year. I'm a Cubs fan too, so I'm, I'm, I am. I know. This is like Rhodes. He does. You guys made the playoffs this year, and people in this room remember the last time the Pirates won the World Series. There is like nobody left alive that remembers the last time the Cubs won the World Series. I mean, there's like nobody. Seriously, to to have memories of that, like, okay, there might be one or two people left on the planet. Huh? To win the World Series? Oh, the Pirates, yeah, yeah. 19, wasn't that 71? 79. 71, 79? That was close. We are family, Pirates. Yeah. We are family. That was a fun team. Okay. Now, for those of us who consider ourselves Christian, our hope should be informed by our belief in God as revealed to us through Jesus and the gospel of Christ that is written about in the Bible. That's what informs our hope as Christians, the revelation of God that we have received and then also what is written in this good book. That's why it's important to read this book, to read these scriptures. There are so many promises in here, and there are so many Christians who don't realize the promises that we have and as it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for as many as the promises of God are there, yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That means in Christ, every promise is yes and amen to us. And that is very good news. So what influences our hope? A variety of things influence our hope. It can be the news that we watch. It can be the Facebook memes that come up. It can be conversations with our friends and families. It can be the books that we read, the newspapers that we read. It can be our life experiences, the way that we're grown up, the way that we grow up, the way that we're raised. All of these different things can influence our hope, whether it's positive or negative. They can have an influence like that. And much of what an individual relies on, to, inf- to influence their hope is very subjective to that individual. Our experiences are subjective. The news that we take in is subjective. No matter which side you're on, you know, it's very subjective. Doesn't matter which station you watch, it's subjective. And oftentimes, that which we believe and that which is reality are two different things. You see, our Western culture overemphasizes the natural and, and relegates the spiritual to this little tiny little spot here or even non-existent. And if you ever do a study on the development of Western thought, it's fascinating. There's a great book out there uh, called Christianity Unshackled by Harold Eberly, and he just shows how all these different influence, rationalism, naturalism, scientific theory, the Enlightenment, all of these different things built upon one another to create the way that we think here in America. Okay? And sometimes that is at war with what would be considered biblical or Hebraic thought where truth is experiential. It's not just mental. Okay? So in the Greek mindset, which is where a lot, like I'm, now I'm teaching a little bit, but it's, we, we have a mental ascent to things. We use our brain. But in Hebrew, it wasn't just the mental side. It was truths are meant to be experienced just like our gospel and just like our God. These are experiential truths that we're called to have in our life each and every day and to to live. So we naturally give more assent to the natural things. 
because of how we're raised, how we're born into this country. If you go into other places of the world, like Africa, it's very different. They didn't have the development of Western thought. They have Eastern thought. And so there, the supernatural is very easy for them to comprehend. They come to the Crusades expecting Jesus to heal, that they'll receive a supernatural healing. They don't have to... It's just natural form, you know. The demonized naked guy is walking down the street in Moshi. It happens. Like, they see that. They go, well, that's not right. We know that guy is demonized. Like, there's the witch doctors on the corner with his medicines. Like, there's, you know, the shamans there. It's, it's just a part of society. It's a part of life. It's a different culture. It's a different way of thought. And so sometimes we have to fight through that as Westerners. I know I've had a big shift over seven years of now being in Africa, realizing that, you know what? The way that we think here, there are some good aspects about it, but there's actually some not-so-good aspects about it. And I've had to adapt and learn some things from the Africans, and they've taught me some new ways to think. And I'll tell you what, much better for it. Much better for it. They have a much greater revelation of community than we do. We have a hyper-individualistic culture. And, and while it's, you know, there's some good aspects of that, that people can know that they're valued and they're loved, but we've lost that sense of community in our society that they, that's just a natural part over there. And I love it. I just, I, I love it. I love the community that they have. I just plug right in, you know. So we are to walk by faith and not by sight. So it is critical we have a lively and vibrant relationship with God so we can see, so we can see his face, we can hear his voice, so that we can understand the works that he's doing and partner with them. And as we do this, we'll see our hope grow into a place where our faith, and what is faith? The faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. That we'll see our faith will be found in a place where all things are possible for those who believe. We'll be able to see things as He sees them. We'll be able to speak things as He speaks them. We'll be able to do things as He is doing. We'll be just like Jesus, doing that which the Father is doing. That's what He always said. I do that which my Father is doing. And Jesus is the prototype for each one of us. He's not some lofty ideal that that we'll never experience. No, He is the prototype. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the last Adam, which means there's no other ones like Him, which means that we are called to be like Him. And the Bible talks about that many times. And we can have that relationship with God that Jesus experienced on the earth. We can have it. And we can have that life and life abundantly. I don't know about you, but that fills me with hope. Because Jesus never had any lack. And anyone who came to him with lack had their lack filled. And I want to be like that. You know, I've been around, you know, I know, you know, I've seen many miracles. I've seen God do amazing things. But the people I remember the most is the ones that haven't received what they needed yet. You know, there's a lady over, a mama in Tanzania. Now it's probably about a 10-year-old son, and she's come to several meetings over the years, and he's, he has a developmental problem, but he's also demonized. And so the doctors can do nothing. There's no government agencies to help over there. There's nothing like that. And so she comes to the meetings, and I'll pray. I'll pray for an hour. I'll pray as long as I can each and every time. But she hasn't gotten the breakthrough yet. Yet. And, uh, but I know, I know there's a greater reality there's a different report in heaven that says health, healing, and wholeness. And so we continue to contend for that. But I remember that mama. I remember the look in her eyes because she's coming out of desperation. She's coming with a shred of hope that maybe God will do something. And so that spurs me to go deeper in the Lord because I want to have the answer to everyone who comes. Because that answer is Jesus. And I know he lives inside of here. 
So I just want to I want to tap that area that's not getting tapped somehow. I don't know where it is, but I'm going to find it with the Holy Spirit help. So, um, and so, as I read in Romans 15:12, there's a hope for nations. In Him, the nations shall hope. And there is a corporate hope for nations. There's an individual hope for each one of us, but there's also a corporate hope for nations. At least that's what I believe. You know, Isaiah 9 says, There shall be no end to the increase of his government and of peace. Daniel 2 talks about the stone that is not cut with hands, that comes and demolishes the statue, the kingdoms of the world, the kingdoms of these different kingdoms in different ages, and it smashes them, and a wind blows, and the dust is scattered, and then this rock becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth, denoting that Christ and the gospel and the revelation of God will fill the whole earth. And Habakkuk prophesies in 2.14 that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. That's a, that's a verse for now. Like, in too many circles, it seems like Christians put hope into a future age. But there's no, like for these promises in the Bible, there's no scriptural context to do that. They may be fantastic, but our God is fantastic. And His promises are amazing, and they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And so we can lay a claim to those promises for our lives, but also for our nation. For in, not just an individual habitation. I, look, I, I want to get away from visitation. I want habitation. We are not orphans. Okay? Orphans have visits from their parents or from their caretakers. We are sons and daughters. We, have, we habitate with the presence of God. We have a place in the house. We have a room in the house of God. Okay? So I'm moving away from visitation. I want habitation. Always and forever. Each and every day. Every moment of my life. Feel this, like this is in me. This is, this is what Jesus, This is part of what Jesus paid a price for. Like He paid a heavy price so that we could have life and life abundantly. And you know, one of the things I've always said: I don't want to leave anything on the table. That inheritance that is now available because we are co-heirs with Christ. When by faith we enter into the covenant that has been made, we become co-heirs, and the inheritance of heaven floods and fills our lives, and we have it. I don't want to leave any of it on the table. Because there's some parts of it that won't be available in heaven when we get there. No one's going to need healing up there. So I'm going to take that part of my inheritance down. And so, his final commission was to disciple nations. Matthew 28, Mark 16. And it's, as it's His command, it reveals His desire. It reveals His heart. And He is continually working to see that accomplished in the earth. Well, the will of the Lord is that none should perish, but all come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 That's His heart. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Even the most wickedest person that we could think of in the earth, it pains the Father's heart when they perish. When they slip into the eternity, denying his son, it pains his heart because he's a father. You know, I've, I've become a father in these last few years. I've got two little girls now, and, you know, they're, I love them to death. I, and I love them to death even when Noella, at three years old, is exercising her independence. <laughs> no! I still love her to death, and I'll do anything for her. My love for her will never change no matter what she decides to do with her life. Because she is my daughter first and foremost, and nothing can ever change that. It's a divine fact for the rest of my life and her life. 
She will always be my daughter, and so I will always have her back as a father. And I know that that's a reflection of heaven for each one of us. The Father is always there. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. So as a missionary, as I read these scriptures and I'm getting this revelation, it encouraged me and fills me with hope for this time that we live in. I have an optimistic view of this time. I'm going to tell you. I don't know if you can pick that up. But I'm, I'm not a world is getting worse kind of guy. You know, I'm a world's getting better kind of guy. And I, and if I don't want to offend anybody with that, but my metric is a little different. My metron's a little different. I don't live in America. You know, I don't know. I don't want to get into trouble, but I might get into trouble. My revelation of the kingdom of God is not subject to which political party wins the election. What God is doing in the earth is not whether a Republican or a Democrat is president. At the end of the age, America will cease to exist, but the kingdom of God will remain. And first and foremost, I am a citizen of heaven. That is where my citizenship lies. Okay? But in Africa, we can measure progress a little differently in the society. I go to some of these churches, and there are some old ladies there, and I ask them, so 50 years ago, was there a highway? No. Did you have access to water in your homes? No. Did you have electricity? No. Was there a school nearby? No. Did you have access to a hospital? No. All these different things. Did you, did you have a church back then? No. Like the Metron is very different. And so they, can, they see the product. Like there's a hospital there they can go to for treatment and care. There are schools for their kids to be educated that weren't there 50 years ago. The, the highway is paved. Just the highway. Everything else isn't. But at least the highway is paved. And you're not like, you know, you don't need a chiropractic adjustment just driving 100 kilometers to the next city. You know, it's paved. And so we can measure the progress that's going on there very differently. Of course, we can measure it here. I mean, how many people would want to go to a hospital 100 years ago? You know, the reason why some elements of Christianity has been antagonistic towards hospitals is because 100 years ago you did not want to go to the hospital. Like it was, it was a place of disease and death and just, you know, 200 years ago, what did they do? They put leeches on people to bleed them out because they'll, they'll drain the bad blood. Man, we've come a long way. Hallelujah. You know, I mean, we can measure these things in some different ways. I mean, we have grocery stores filled with food. I mean, we have them over there now in Tanzania. We got, we got a Nakumat in Moshi. It's like Kenyan Walmart. It's big. It just opened a year and a half, two years ago. And it's like, we can get goods and stuff there. It's great. Heinz ketchup is there. Which makes me very odd. Yesterday I wore a shirt. I put ketchup on my ketchup. I like, I probably have an addiction to Heinz ketchup, honestly. I probably should have a sozo. So anyway. Uh, all right. I'm going to work on landing. I'm not going to lie to you yet. I don't want to lie. I'll go a couple more minutes, then I'll work on landing this. How many people have heard that Christianity is in decline? In decline. Right? Have you heard that? I, I connect different. I try to get news from a lot of different sources. You know, I don't try to stay in one place. I like to hear what other people are thinking and how other people interpret things. 
But, I, you know, I've seen these stories on CNN, uh, the Huffington Post. Um, I love reading atheist bloggers who like to declare the end of Christianity. It, it's comical to me. Um, but there are people declaring this, and I know the media has trumped this up. And so, and I, and I hear it in the voices of Christians, like, well, we're just, things are going to get worse, and just, I'm waiting for God to pull us out, and, you know, it's just like there's hopelessness, and just this, ah, and just, ah, I'm just like, ah! <laughs> well, I did some research. So I'm going to read you some facts, some research, some stats, and we're going to, we're going to go from there. But I love this quote. This is from Dr. Wayne Bowen. And he said this, The loss of perceived momentum is often as essential in world history as actual defeats. For Imperial Rome in the 5th century, Roman Catholicism in the 16th century, and Soviet Communism in the late 20th century, their declines began when their supporters no longer believed their triumph was inevitable. That's a powerful statement. So in light of this, I want to read you some things. I spent, I spent some hours doing some research, pulling from different places. At the end of the 19th century, so this is 1900, the s- southern portion of Africa was only 3% Christian. Today, 63% of the population is Christian. That's pretty significant. More people in the Islamic world have come to Christ in the last 25 years than the entire history of Christian missions. I could tell you some awesome testimonies. Like Jesus, I got to meet the first Mauritanian Christian that was known in generations. Um, And she got saved in 1982 because Jesus appeared three times. And that's how she got saved. Incredible testimony. I knew another guy from Algeria who ended up in some expat Korean church in Algiers and sat down on a bench to listen to the singing and a man in white appeared to him and told him, I want you to accept me and follow me. I mean, there's like all of these, and these are people I've met. So I'm not like, I've spent time with them. They translated. I mean, I had dinner in that lady's home. Such an honor. I mean, incredible honor. And, uh, so anyway, we'll keep going. In Islamic Indonesia, the percentage of Christians is now so high around 15%, that the Muslim government will no longer print statistics. There's an awesome guy there named Philip Mantofa. If you've seen Furious Love, that DVD, um, he's featured in there. And, I mean, he's got churches, thousands and thousands and thousands with, you know, house church leaders that are 18 and 19 years old, just rampant revival over there. Across the planet, followers of Jesus are increasing by more than 80,000 per day. Even if that was 60,000, that's pretty still pretty significant. I know a big chunk of that's in China. All right. Yeah, here's some of the numbers. In 1900, there were approximately 10 million Christians in Africa. By 2000, there was 360 million. By 2025, conservative estimates see that number rising to 633 million. We're a part of that. That's where, that's where we're living. I mean, it's just revival fire there. You know, but when God's healing paralyzed Muslim men in the terminal wards of the hospital and they get saved, it makes the job easy. We didn't have to convince him he needed Jesus. <laughs> the fish jump into the boat when that happens. 
<laughs> I like fishing that way. Um, another astonishing growth uh, spurt measured typologically has been Pentecostals and Charismatics. In 1900, there was 981,000 in the world. Today, there is 612 million with an average of 37,000 new adherents a day. The fastest growth in two millennia of church history. This church is a part of that. Now, this one's my favorite. This one. I stumbled across an interview on Al Jazeera between an Al Jazeera reporter and Sheikh Ahmad Al-Qahtani. He is the president of the Companions Lighthouse for the Science of Islamic Law in Libya. And he said this, Every hour, 667 Muslims convert to Christianity. Every day, 16,000 Muslims convert to Christianity. Every year, 6 million Muslims convert to Christianity. Indeed, these numbers are very large. And that interview was a lament that they had lost Africa. Dang right they did. That, that's from the sheik. That, that's not a Christian source. That's a Muslim source declaring six million a year. And we see that. Yeah, that's right. That's why he was lamenting. It's all right. Jesus will appear to him and then. All right. This is a good one. In the period of 1934 to 1994, the number of Christians in the world increased by 1,300% while the world's population grew only 400%. What does that mean? It means, yes, Christians are having babies. But we are making converts along with having babies. You see the growth in Islam, that's because they're having lots of babies, but it's not because people are converting. So there's a growth there that's just by natural. But Christianity has a growth that's not just by birth, but it's by converts. Because our kingdom is the superior kingdom. How many people heard that Britain is like the new dark island, that Christianity is going extinct there, right? You've heard all that, right? Since 1980, 5,000 new churches have been planted in Britain. Yes, people may be leaving the Anglican church, but they're going to new places like Soul Survivor, where Matt Redmond's from, and places like that. The largest church in London is pastored by an African. The largest church in the Ukraine is pastored by an African, a Ghanaian. Yeah, that is awesome. It's like we, the West did their missions work, and now we're going to reap the fruit of that missions work with Africans coming to our nations and bringing the fire of God and what they carry. And I'm excited about that. Because they don't come from that Western might. That's so great. It's just they bring... Just bring it. Okay. There's a whole lot more here. I won't bore you with any more statistics. I see the looks. That's a lot of good news right there. That's what I know. And I know there's stats that say America is in decline. 1970, 90% of America has claimed itself Christian. Today it's 76.4%. And those 76.4% is still pretty good but what i think it is is people are just being more honest and people who came to church for christmas and easter no longer feel the societal pressure of attending because back then if you weren't christian you were 
whatever, you know. And so they're just being a little more honest. America was not 90% Christian in 1970. I've seen the videos and I've seen the clothes. The bottom line is this, that around the world as a whole, Christianity continues to advance. The kingdom of God continues to advance. Every time someone is saved, every time there is a healing, every time someone is set free from darkness, it is a sign that a superior kingdom is overtaking an inferior kingdom. Every time. If darkness was greater, no one could get saved, no one would get healed, no one would get delivered. But it's not. John 1.6 says so. The darkness could not overpower it. The devil tried and he failed and now we're laying the smack down on him all over this planet. He is in the figure four. Jesus has him in the figure four leg lock and he's been tapping out for 2,000 years. A couple wrestling fans in there. I'm I'm the last of a family of four siblings and so we watched a lot of wrestling when I was when I was a little kid so I got that in me sadly I still haven't grown out of it but I'm not ashamed God created me this way so it is harvest time it still is harvest time it's harvest time everywhere we go you know we carry we carry the presence of God wherever we go and so wherever we go it's in season because of who lives inside of us. And so we can have an expectation and a hope that God will do that which He says He will do. I have that. Now I know here's, now here's, here I'm going to speak from my heart. I know there are times where it seems like our hopes are unmet. You know, I lost a brother in 1996, passed away on the mission field as a missionary to China. You know, I lost out on having nieces and nephews. Um, with, you know, to pal around with. You know, I'm an adult child of a divorce. My parents divorced uh, after 22 years of marriage. I buried my best friend, died of cancer a few years ago, 31 years old. Like, like there are these experiences that we have that somehow our experience does not meet up with our theology. And there's a tension there. And you know what? It's okay to have a tension in our faith. Like oftentimes there are truths that seem to be in combat with one another, but they're not. They're just intention. You know, we, we tend to think literally, but, you know, the logos, which is the, the mind of God. I mean, it's when we when we see without veil one day, I mean, it's going to we're going to be amazed and our minds are going to be blown. But what I do know is sometimes these truths are held in tension. And I know that we get hit. We go through experiences. We take our shots. You know, we lose things. We lose jobs. We lose houses. We lose loved ones. Those things do happen. But our hope still remains. That we'll trust Him. Because one of the... You know why I'm a Christian the most? I'm going to tell you why. Because in the midst of all of these negative situations... These are heavy. When you lose a brother, that's heavy. You know, when your parents divorce at 22... I think that's harder to deal with emotionally than a little kid. Because you, re- you know, two born-again Christians that divorce, love Jesus, doesn't work anymore. You know, and you deal with the struggle of that. And like, how does that happen? And just, it tears you up emotionally. And, you know, it, and so, and you got these tensions like, well, where's my hope in all that? Well, my hope is in Jesus. That He'll work for the good of those who love Him. 
that he will take the ashes of life and he will make something beautiful. And he's done that time and time again. And that's why I follow him. Where I've needed him the most, he has always shown up. And it just makes his ability to redeem the stuff of life. That's why I fall on my knees and I worship him. Because only God can do that. And he will do that. He will do that for each one of us. Even when we're in a situation, even now, where we have a hope that is unmet, he will meet us in that place. And I think this is where we're going to finish. And you know what? I want to pray. If you have a hope that's unmet, you're really struggling with one of those like life situations, I want to pray for you. I want to just, we're going to pray together. Because he is the God of all hope. And it's a hope that just comes in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can look at our situations, we can look at our circumstances and say, I know that's happening, but there is a greater truth, there is a greater reality, there is a greater place, and I know God can fill that hole, He can fill that need, and He will because He loves me. Because I am not an orphan, but I am His son, or I am His daughter. And He is a good Papa, and He only has good and perfect gifts to give to His children. So, everybody stand. We're going to end there. You only got two pages. <laughs> I'm just going to pray. And then after I pray over everyone, I don't know. Do you have do you dismiss or do you have announcements to make? Anything you want to do? Um, they're free, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so I'm going to pray over everyone. And if you want some personal prayer, especially for hope, also pray for healing. That's, uh, do it, you know, it's all good. It's all the kingdom. Uh, come on up and we'll pray. Those that are free to go are free to go. Um, but Father, we just praise you and we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this family, this, this, this church made of people. It's not the stones that make this building, but it's the people that are inside and the family dynamic that they have. Lord, I bless it and I say more. Lord, pour out heaven over each one. Pour out heaven over this place that this would truly be that city on a hill here in Pittsburgh that would draw the least, the last, and the lost, the broken, the hurting would come in, that they would see that there is bread in this house. The hungry would come. They would see the bread in this house and that they would come. Lord, I pray that just there would be an impartation of hope, a supernatural impartation that defies logical explanation, a hope that would be put into the hearts of your people here and now, that we can stare down those things that don't make sense or don't line up with the promises and say, no, that's not the reality. There's a greater reality and you can bring that peace because you are the Prince of Peace. That as the God of all hope, you can make all things new. And Lord, we echo that statement from Revelation 21.5 that in this place, in the lives of all of your people, all of us who are gathered here, you continue to say, Behold, I am making all things new. And he continues to speak that over each one of us, over this church, over this body, and over this planet. Behold, I, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, your Savior, your Lord, your friend, your Father, behold, making all things new in your life right here, right now and you can just receive I just feel the impartation just receive, just receive the hope receive the making of all things new that's his desire, that's what his declaration is over each one of us that is here I am making all things new 
all things new. Bless your name. All honor and glory is yours, Lord, to you and you alone. You are God and there is no other. We just say yes. Bless your name. In Jesus' name. Amen.